welcome to the Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Hosted by John Joseph Adams and David Barr Kirtley. Hi, this is Dave. And this is John. And welcome to episode 11 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, today we'll be talking with Alexander Philippe, director of the new documentary film The People vs. George Lucas, which explores the love-hate relationship that Star Wars fans have for the legendary director. You know, just this morning, I just, just on a whim, I googled uh, George Lucas uh, in, in Google Image Search, and one of the first images that comes up is this guy who has a tattoo on his shoulder. <laughs> it's just giant. It's like fills up his whole shoulder of, of uh, Darth Vader holding a lightsaber and also holding George Lucas's decapitated head. <laughs> and it seems like that really just kind of encapsulates the relationship between Star Wars fans and George Lucas. You know, like they love him so much that they're that they have his face tattooed on their body. But, you know, and and this character he created tattooed on their body, but you know, also uh expressing just the most you know, sort of vitriolic outrage at the same time. And it really is. It's not it's not like a like dislike relationship it's a true love hate relationship so i think that'll be really interesting i'm really looking forward to seeing this documentary i think it's a really interesting uh phenomenon and i'm sure he uh interviewed a lot of really really uh interesting people <laughs> interesting uh, is the polite way to put it <laughs> and uh you know we also i i, I want to thank matt rotundo a uh, science fiction author who's one of my live journal friends and he was interviewed for this movie and was told that he actually you know makes an appearance in the movie and so he blogged about that on his uh on his journal and then i saw it and that's how i heard about this movie and watched the trailer and thought it looked really good and you know i just watched this trailer and i was like wow we have got to get the director of this uh, on the phone and, and talk about this because it looks like a lot of fun so that's what we'll be doing and then stick around after the interview where john and i will be reminiscing about star wars and uh, talking about what works and what doesn't, in our humble opinion. All right, well, let's do it. Let's get Philippe on the phone. Hello. Uh, hi, this is Dave and John from Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Hi, how are you guys? Great. Uh, so, you know, usually, first of all, we would just ask you a little bit about yourself, but we have a question which we think is just going to tell us everything that we need to know about you, which is how would you personally rank the six Star Wars movies from best to worst? <laughs> Hmm, that's a, that's a great question. Well, you know that it's actually a, it's actually quite a tricky question because usually when you when you ask this to people from my generation, you know the original Star Wars generation, people will usually say Empire Strikes Back. I think that Empire is the best of the movies. I think my favorite is still the original Star Wars because that's really you know where it all started. So I would say in in, in order of you know. From best to worst, I would go five, four, six, three, two, one. <laughs> and in order of preference, I would go four, five, six, three, two, one. Yeah, good answer. <laughs> I don't know though. There's no way that the Attack of the Clones is not the worst movie, but uh, that's a that's a debate for another time, perhaps. Um, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to, to put them together in, in a bundle, <laughs> you know, one and two. <laughs> I'm, I'm really yeah. not fond of them at all. Yeah, it's a fine distinction between uh, levels of crappiness, I suppose. But um, Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, how did you get the idea to make the People versus George Lucas, and uh, what was the process of creating it like? 
Well, the, the idea really came to me several years ago. And, you know, it's, it's funny because I've always sort of had the title in, in my head because, you know, it's, it's really hard to have two Star Wars fans in, in a room without starting some kind of an argument about George Lucas, about, you know, whether George Lucas is God, whether he's the devil, or whether he's both. And so just that idea was really the... Uh, the spark, you know, behind the project. And, and uh, you know, we were on the, working on a project, uh, commercial project in Texas back in 2007. And, you know, my director of photography, who was also a huge Star Wars fan, you know, we were just basically talking about Star Wars every single day. And, and one day I just I said, you know, hey, I had this idea to make a documentary called The People vs. George Lucas. And he immediately, you know, jumped on it. I mean, he said, you know, I, I really want to do this. Uh, I'll be, I'll be the, the DP. I, I want to help produce it. And so he's really the one who kind of pushed me and encouraged me to, you know, to, to make this happen. And, uh, you know, three and a half uh, years later, here we are. <laughs> but uh, it's been a crazy process. You know, we have well over 600 hours of footage uh, that we've collected uh, worldwide. Fans have submitted their own footage from around the world in a variety of, of formats. You know, anything from, from Star Wars Grindhouse to, you know, puppet rants to uh, hour-long webcam rants, uh, animation, claymation, 3D animation, I mean, you name it. So like, what was the most impressive fan-submitted thing that you got? There's so many. I, I don't want to try and single out... Um, you know, there's this one guy that, you know, at the top of my head who, who noticed, you know, when we, when he saw our first trailer that, you know, we, we shoot our interviews with multiple cameras. And because he only had one camera, he memorized his lines and shot himself from two different angles so we could, hmm. we could use that. How did you go about soliciting the footage from the fans? Or how did you, how did you put the call out to get people to do this stuff? We had a, a set of guidelines that we that we posted online. We made it very very friendly for people to to essentially uh, understand the process of how to submit to us. We had an, obviously an FTP uh, for you know where people could just post their footage, and uh, we we made it very clear that no no matter what kind of format, you know if they had an HD camera or whether they had just a, a webcam. <laughs> they could still submit to us. I didn't want to limit, you know, the, the, the type of footage that people could submit to us. I mean, this certainly created a huge challenge for us in, during the post-production process because, I mean, it was, it was a real nightmare, just, just dealing with that many formats, uh, you know, PAL, NTSC, all kinds of different frame rates, all kinds of different, you know, types of resolutions. So uh, who are some of the biggest, uh, most recognizable names that appear in the movie? Uh, okay, so we have, uh, you know, I'd, I'd say the, some of the biggest include uh, Gary Kurtz, uh, who obviously produced uh, Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. Uh, we interviewed Neil Gaiman. We interviewed Del Pollock, who, um, you know, wrote the book Skywalking and obviously was George Lucas's biographer. Dave Prowse, of course, Darth Vader himself. What did, what did Neil Gaiman say? Like, what was his basic take on Star Wars? All I'll say is that he's not a huge fan of Star Wars as a story. And he was actually talking about the fact that he, he thinks that maybe he was just a little too old, just a few years too old to really connect with Star Wars the way that, you know, some people did. So now you went to the World Science Fiction Convention and interviewed some science fiction writers. Uh, maybe, uh, I'm not sure if that's where you interviewed Neil or not, but you, you interviewed some writers yeah. there. Which other writers did you interview, and uh, what, did, what was their general attitude about Star Wars? Um, did you notice it in general that it was different from other types of fans? 
Ooh, that's a wide question. It's a really <laughs> tough question to answer because, you know, everybody seems to have a very, very unique take on Star Wars and, and on George Lucas, obviously. But uh, we interviewed Joe Haldeman, uh, Anders, John C. Wright, oh, Lawrence Sean, a few, just uh, uh, Howard Taylor. The, the reason why we went to Worldcon in the first place was that we had interviewed uh, David Brin, who uh, wrote a book called uh, Star Wars on Trial. And he's a pretty famous, uh, you know, sci-fi uh, author, obviously. But uh, there's a number of the contributors to the book, Star Wars on Trial, were going to be at Worldcon uh, that, you know, that year. You know, people will, will defend George, and people will go after George for all sorts of reasons. So I, I can't say specifically, <laughs> you know, what they told me, but suffice it to say there was a, a, wide, a wide range of feelings and, uh, and, and emotions expressed. Where else did you do interviews? Like, did you go to San Diego Comic-Con or anything like that? We went to Comic-Con. Uh, we went to uh, just about all over Europe. We went to Tokyo. Uh, we went to Canada, several trips to Los Angeles, several trips to the East Coast. Are Star Wars fans different in Tokyo than in Canada or... Yeah, yeah. In fact, I, I, you know, the, the fans in Tokyo have a very, very different take on George and on Star Wars. Culturally, they're they're amazed that in America we we have this ability to debate something like this and put so much passion and feelings into it. I think they're much more respectful, <laughs> you know, uh, of George as as a whole. You know, they have a hard time understanding why we're so emotionally invested. In those movies, that doesn't mean that they don't that they're not emotional about them. They just express those emotions very, very differently. You know, so for instance, when you know when I started talking to them about the South, the, the infamous South Park episode, of, you know, the rape of Indiana Jones, <laughs> you, you know, you, you get some really interesting responses from them. You know, it's it's something along the lines of, "Wow, you know, America is, is really intense. We can get away with something like this in Japan." So, uh, I mean, speaking of uh, inspiring passion, uh, who are some of the strangest and or angriest people that you interviewed? Probably the angriest interviews were, probably not surprisingly, footage that we received from fans. <laughs> there's, there's one in particular that, uh, you know, he submitted us, I think it was a seven-hour rant <laughs> on George, uh, on, on a bunch of high-eight tapes. And it's a really, really priceless. I mean, he did some reenactments with action figures and all kinds of, you know. I mean, it's it's really interesting to me because you you, could, you can see in this guy the absolute love and devotion, and then he will just turn on a dime and start ranting and 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 showing the other side of, of fandom and showing his his profound, you know, anger. So yeah, so I would say I would say because we never. We never tried to censor anything. You know, the fans really felt that our documentary was a way for them to really express their, you know, their feelings. And, and as a result, we did receive a number of very, very over-the-top <laughs> uh, testimonies. But, you know, uh, that's definitely part of the doc as well, you know. And uh, I've, I've made the decision to, to not censor anything. So, you know, there's, there's some language in the doc. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> Yeah, so I understand you've been getting some death threats from Star Wars fans. Uh, what does a death threat from a Star Wars fan sound like? Does it involve the almighty Sarlacc? <laughs> 
No, I haven't. I haven't received that one yet. Actually, uh, that's interesting. Uh, no, but we we had a we had a couple that were actually, uh, frankly, a little a little scary and a little disturbing. I mean, I you know, there's that, there's that sense that you know they, they felt that we were we were going after George, that you know by by putting a documentary out there called The People versus George Lucas that we were damaging Star Wars and how dare we do this. You know, it's, it's really unfortunate, and I've, I've always tried, you know, with the most extreme fans to have this communication. You know, when, whenever I receive something like this, I'll turn right around and answer them very politely and say, you know, I, I understand your feelings, I understand how you feel, but you have to understand this is not, you know, we're not going after George. You know, we have a huge amount of respect and, and you know, and love for the guy. We, we're just, you know, making a documentary film, and we're trying to distance ourselves from this material as fanboys and look at this from the point of view of a documentary filmmaker and looking at this as a um, a, a cultural phenomenon. You know, most of the time, these guys, these people would actually respond to me and, and, and say, oh, yeah, well, okay, now, now I understand why you're making this film. But every now and then, some of these particular fans would get angrier and angrier and to the point of being really scary. So, um, you know, and saying we should die and, and all kinds of things. So, you know, I mean, it's, it is what it is. Um, uh, I'm sure George gets a lot more death threats than I do, so <laughs> it's just part of the process. See, speaking of, of really scary, uh, apparently in the movie you interview someone <laughs> who thinks that the prequels are better than the originals. You know, I'll tell you a funny anecdote because we we went to uh, we went to Paris um, to interview some uh, you know some French scholars on the topic, and you know I'm 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 French originally myself, so I I, I can laugh at this as well. But I think the French have this this tendency to really overthink <laughs> uh, you know things, and 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 a lot of these a lot of them actually really saying that the prequels are, are better films. I didn't really quite follow their arguments. You know, they, they got very, very cerebral. <laughs> but, uh, you know, one of them actually went so far as to say that, you know, he, if he wanted to be a little provocative, he'd say that Jar Jar Binks was his favorite character in the entire saga. So you, you'll see that, you know, in, in the film itself, obviously we do have a segment about Jar Jar. And uh, pretty much the only people who stand up for the character are kids and French scholars. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he's less offensive and stupid in French. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Although somehow I just can't, I just can't imagine that. I think it's, it's probably worse in French. <laughs> it, was, it was funny. Just last night I Googled, um, I hate Jar Jar Binks, and it comes up with 47,000 oh, yeah. 47, hits. And then just as a control, I Googled, I hate Hitler. And it comes up with 49,000. So it's about, about this. Oh. Okay, there you go. That's see, that's actually very similar to, to what I did in the uh, actually the early stages of our documentary. I did um, I googled I hate George Lucas, and I googled I hate Gene Roddenberry. You know, just to just to, to see the difference. And I think uh, Gene Roddenberry was like four hits, and you know George Lucas was like twelve thousand nine hundred something like that. Uh, one issue that your movie tackles is the phenomenon of Star Wars merchandising. Uh, what did people have to say about that? Well, you know, th- there is that very conflicted uh, relationship that I think Star Wars fans have with Star Wars merchandise. Because on the one hand, they want it, and they want more of it. And on the other hand, <laughs> the more they buy, the more frustrated they are because they feel like they're being t- taken advantage of. So, you know, that's a, that's a really interesting question. You know, is, is George, 
taking advantage of his fans, or you know, are his fans just really, you know, shouldn't they be responsible for what they decide to spend their their money on? So, you know, I, I think, uh, I mean, it's definitely a question that we explore in the documentary. And, um, you know, in, in all fairness to George, you know, he's obviously created a, a business model that works. And I think anybody in his situation, you know, would probably be doing the same thing. Do you uh, or any of the crew have any Star Wars merchandise yourself? Oh, I do. <laughs> I, I, I think guilty to that, you know. And, 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 I, and I certainly have the same you know, conflicted feelings. I mean, I love to spend my money on Star Wars stuff, but I kind of feel bad <laughs> after the fact. You know, it's 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 just a bunch of of plastic, really, of of junk that that you're buying. And 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 where does it end? I mean, that's the thing: is where does it end? I mean, there is just so much of it. If you're a Darth Vader collector, I mean, there's there's probably well over a hundred different you know, Darth Vader figures out there with all kinds of variations that you can buy. So it's, it's, it's way, way out of control. And I think that that's, that's what the fans are responding to on a kind of uh, basic level is the, this frustration, I think, that George has become such a, such a machine, such an empire, and how different that is from the young idealistic filmmaker you know, who, who was a rebel back in the day. And I think, I think fans, more than anything, have a hard time reconciling the two Georges. Well, and it sort of uh, led to a situation where the cart's kind of before the horse, right? Like I, mm -hmm. I listened to an interview yeah. with the guys who wrote the Transformers movie, and they said that the company basically handed them a list of toys that they were going to make and said, you know, put these in the movie. Yeah, yeah, and, it's, and that's the thing. I mean, that's, in a sense, you know, that's kind of the legacy of George Lucas, isn't it? Uh, and that's yet another sort of layer to that frustration is, you know, here's, I mean, here's a guy who really changed the industry for the better in so many ways. And I think a lot of fans are really pissed that he also changed the industry in very strange, terrible ways. I mean, you know, would we really have this approach to filmmaking? Would we really have a Transformers movie? without George Lucas in the first place? I mean, that's a very question, you know, interesting question to, to ask ourselves. And I would say probably not. So, you know, the bottom line is, you know, George, George did what he had to do. You know, he, he, he followed his path. He made the movies that he believed in. And the industry changed as a result. I mean, should he be – is he guilty of that? Uh, I, I don't think so. I'll say uh, uh, I, for one, would gladly forsake all of my Star Wars merchandise if it meant that we didn't have to have Ewoks in Return of the Jedi. <laughs> I, I, I actually am I'm not, I'm not that huge of, a, of an Ewok hater myself. You know, <laughs> I, 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 you know they're okay. I mean, certainly, certainly you can see the signs, I think, in Return of the Jedi. You know, there was, there was a shift, I think, in George Lucas. And I think Jar Jar Binks is probably kind of the extension of that, and and the Gophers and Indiana Jones Four and all these cute, weird little creatures, you know, that seem to have nothing to do really with the story itself. But you know, when you're when you're a kid and you watch Return of the Jedi and you watch the Ewoks, you know, I, I personally didn't have a problem with that. Uh, I, I I still think that Return of the Jedi is very watchable, you know, as as a movie. Uh, is it as good? Uh, as the other two, I, you know, no, I don't think so. But it has some great moments. I mean, the whole, the whole Jabba the Hutt sequence, I think, is great. Obviously, the final, du you know, duel uh, mm -hmm. with you know Palpatine thrown into the mix has you know some of the greatest moments I think in the in the entire Star Wars saga. 
you uh, I read an interview with you, I think, where you said that the producer for the first two movies um, parted ways with Lucas sort of over creative differences in Return of the Jedi. That Gary, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, well, you know, Gary essentially uh, told us that uh, right around 1984, <clears throat> which was essentially during, um, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, he, he really felt that George was kind of uh, heading in a different direction uh, in terms of storytelling, you know, that, that he was more interested in the roller coaster ride than he was interested in the storytelling. And, 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 you know, he didn't say this as a, it wasn't a value judgment. It was just an observation. And, and basically they, you know, they parted ways. You know, I, I, I mean, there's this amazing uh, review of episode one, the 70-minute uh, review of episode one that came out on YouTube not so, not so long ago that really deconstructs the episode and just, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a really harsh review, but it's very true. I mean, there's no... There's nothing there in terms of story or character that I think is engaging. I think it's. I really think, and with all the love and respect I have for George, I mean, I'm sorry to say, but I think it's it's a terrible, terrible piece of filmmaking. Hmm. No, that that's a brilliant piece that that YouTube video, like where they ask people to yes. describe the personalities of the the characters in the prequels without reference to their job or their role in the plot. Yeah, and in fact, these guys have actually participated in our in our doc as well. Uh, you know, we've been in. Uh, been in touch with these guys for for a while, actually, for another segment that they did on on YouTube about Darth Vader's infamous, you know, no <laughs> moment in uh, in Episode Three. What are what are those guys actually like? Because they have sort of this this sort of creepy persona uh, when presenting their review. No, <laughs> no, actually, not at all. They're they're totally um, they're just just very cool guys. Um, but they're very good, obviously, at doing some some pretty creepy impersonations. <laughs> <laughs> So, so there's a line in the trailer about how Lucas used to say that he was going to do other things besides Star Wars, and yet he never really has. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I, I think that's the other thing is, um, you know, the fans are, I think, secretly hoping that George will, you know, step away from Star Wars and do something new, do something, you know, I mean, he's been talking about this for for years now, that now that Star Wars is over, he's going to finally be able to make the, you know, personal experimental film that nobody wants to see, uh, <laughs> but which, in fact, everybody wants to see. And the more time goes by, the more George seems to be really stuck in that Star Wars uh, mode, you know, and probably because it's the safe thing to do, probably because there's a lot of pressure on him to keep making Star Wars, you know, to keep making Indiana Jones or, or whatever, you know, those big franchises are. And... You know, as Francis Ford Coppola, you know, once put it, I think it's, it's very, very sad that, you know, no matter how popular Star Wars was, uh, you know, how many billions of dollars it made, we haven't seen 10% of what George Lucas is capable of as a filmmaker. And I think that's the, the heartbreak and that's the tragedy of George Lucas. And it's definitely something that we explore in, in the documentary as well, because you're talking about a guy who is obviously was so full of promise, who delivered on that promise in ways that, that nobody would have ever imagined, and who, who just, as a result of that success, just became somebody else. So in terms of filmmaking, you know, if you're a film buff, and you look at the promise that was George Lucas back in the 70s and, and, and early 80s, and you look at George Lucas now, 
it is a form of tragedy. It's, it's terribly sad to start thinking about what could this guy be doing right now if he just let go, if he just decided, you know, that's kind of like Luke, right? He has to, to let go. He has to trust his feelings. I mean, one argument people sometimes make is that these big blockbusters, whatever we think of them, and, uh, make the studios enough money that they can afford to lose money on more um, sort of individual, smaller projects. Um, right. Does, do you think yeah. Lucas feels a uh, pressure from that direction to, to make money for the studio so that they can support other filmmakers? Well, you know, um, it's a hard thing to say. You know, I mean, George Lucas is, is a very mysterious man, you know, but I think if you look at the facts, <laughs> I mean, the fact is he has billions of dollars. He has a movie-making empire. And putting all the pressures aside, which I'm, I'm sure are there's a lot of pressure on him to do certain things, uh, he is still the one guy who has the money really, and the capabilities to make anything that he wants. And so for him to say he wants to do these things, for him to say, I want to make these movies, I want to do something, I want to go back to my roots, and to not do it has, I think, to do, and this is my personal interpretation, but I think it has to do with fear. Uh, I mean, he hasn't done it in so long, and I think the uh, the thought of, of doing something completely different at, you know, at this time in his life is probably far more terrifying than it is to just continue to do Star Wars. And, you know, I, th I think it's a shame. I, I think George has nothing to prove. No matter what you think of the prequel trilogy or Indiana Jones 4 or any of that stuff, George will always be one of the great filmmakers of all time. And I think it's really okay if he goes out and makes a crappy film and sales because at least he would have tried. But, you know, I'm not George, so that's <laughs> ultimately <laughs> that's his decision. Uh, so Star Wars now extends far beyond the six feature films. Uh, what, are, what are some of your favorite examples of Star Wars material from the expanded universe? Uh, you know, see, I'm, I'm one of those guys that uh, I just don't really go there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that, that's actually part of the frustration, again, from, you know, if you look at our generation... To us, Star Wars is six movies. Well, so actually, it's really three movies. <laughs> but, you know, but, but, but then there's the other three that we have to kind of deal with, right? <laughs> but it's really the, the newer generation that seems a lot more invested, I think, in, in all of the expanded universe and in the video games and, you know, in the Clone Wars and, and all that stuff. So uh, in recent years, we've seen reboots of Batman, James Bond, and Star Trek. Uh, what do you think about the idea of rebooting Star Wars? Uh, see, now that's a whole other thing. Absolutely. Now that, <clears throat> that I would be really all over. And, it's, and in fact, I think that's the one thing that I think is, is frustrating to me is how close George Lucas is keeping Star Wars to his chest. It's like he doesn't want to let go of it. And what you have to understand is that, you know, the, the kids who grew up with Star Wars back in the, the, you know, the late 70s are now of age. And a lot of these kids have grown into amazing filmmakers. I mean, you know, you, all you have to do is look at J.J. Abrams, you know, rebooting Star Trek as, as a perfect example of that. And it's hard to imagine that any of these guys, if they got a call from Lucas saying, hey, I want you to, I want you to do your own Star Wars, they'd be chopping at the bit. I mean, nobody would actually say no to that. 
I think this is exactly what Star Wars needs right now. It needs to, you know, George Lucas needs to let go of it, and other people need to bring their own spin, their own interpretations to the story and the characters of Star Wars. Now, that, I think, would be extremely interesting. Uh, so uh, if people want to check out the documentary, uh, how can they do that? Well, obviously, we, you know, we just uh, uh, had our world premiere at uh, South by Southwest. Uh, we've already been invited by a number of, um, of really, really big festivals around the world. And, you know, we're trying to, um, you know, to figure out, I mean, we've already accepted three. Uh, there's a bunch of others that we're trying to think about because we don't, we don't want to show the film so much at festivals because that will take away from our uh, chances of having actually, a, you know, a legitimate theatrical run. So uh, we're still strategizing. Um, you know, how many festivals we want to show it to. Obviously, we want to show it around the world. And, um, you know, we're, we're hoping to get into uh, a fairly, you know, quick distribution agreement that will enable us to have not only a theatrical run, but, of course, eventually, uh, you know, a full-on DVD, you know, Blu-ray release. But if you go to our website and check the news section, uh, there's even a tab that, uh, you know, a screenings uh, tab on our website. People can, um, you know, get the latest information about, uh, about upcoming screenings. So do you have any other projects uh, that you'd like to mention? There's uh, a lot of films that uh, uh, we're currently developing right now. Uh, that's unfortunately not something I'm, uh, I'm ready to announce just yet. Uh, but I will say that we are developing a number of other feature-length documentaries. Some are also pop culture related, and some are, you know, a little more sort of serious, uh, you know, subject matter. And uh, also developing a, um, a feature-length uh, western. And you did a Star Trek documentary, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a while back, and, and uh, it was a, a much smaller uh, production. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it's called Earthlings. It's a documentary that uh, is about the, the Klingon uh, language phenomenon. Uh, hmm. It's a much more, much more of a niche uh, documentary, but it's, it's out on DVD in Europe. Well, we're big in Europe, so probably <laughs> a lot of our listeners will, will want to go check Excellent. that out. Excellent. So, uh, Alexander Philippe, thanks so much for joining us on Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Thank you so much. It was, it was a real pleasure. And that was our interview. So, thanks so much to Alexander for joining us on the phone. Uh, I'm so surprised there were no blasters during that interview. I just... Uh... <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I can't wait to wait until this movie comes out and we can watch it. It sounds like it's going to be great. Um so I don't know if you know this, John, but my mom was actually pregnant with me when she went to see Star Wars in the movie. Oh, the so that's what happened to you. Yeah, so she's always uh, maintained that there must have been some sort of prenatal influence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, when I was a kid, uh, we, you know, my grandmother lived nearby, and so we were always going over to her house, and they would just stick me in front of the TV. And my grandmother had a VCR, which was mm -hmm. just, you know, really amazing new technology at the time it's like wow you could actually watch a movie on your television and she had recorded star wars off of the you know i guess it had been on tv or something and so every single time i went over to her house i would just watch star wars so i'm sure i had seen that movie i, th I think i had counted that i had seen it 25 times you know by the mm -hmm. time i was about age four uh you know and of course i think like probably most most people our age <laughs> you know i had memorized the whole thing you know mm -hmm even before I can really remember. And I don't know, is that the case with you? Did you grow up watching Star Wars? 
Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, I did too. I mean, I'm a little older than you, so I was uh, I was one when it came out. But I mean, um, you know, I don't think we, I don't think my parents took me to see it in the theater when I was one. But I, I certainly grew up with it. I often wonder if uh, if like if we would have appreciated it more, even more than we already did. Like if we were maybe like you know 13 or something when we saw it. You know, just because like I mean, I think it's important that you're not too old when you first see it, but uh, you know, if you're too young too, I think like a lot of the cool stuff gets spoiled for you. Like I mean. You know, like I just sort of, I, I felt like I always knew that that Darth Vader was Luke's father. You know, uh, spoiler, oh, spoiler alert, warning, you know, yeah, yeah uh, <laughs> for the for the two people who haven't <laughs> seen Star Wars yet. Um, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm I just like I can't help but think of like how awesome would it have been to been like you know more more of an adult when when you'd seen that and be like oh wow oh my god that was like so amazing you know like I would never never have seen that coming you know mm-hmm. uh, but it's just like I, I felt like I felt like the movie was spoiled for me um, when I because because uh, I kind of rediscovered it when I was about you know fourteen or fifteen or whatever you know I hadn't uh, I hadn't seen it in a long time and uh, I or I hadn't seen any of the movies in a long time and uh, and so it was like I sort of rediscovered it in, in in when i was around 15 or so and uh so like it kind of felt like a, a part of the movie was spoiled to me um, yeah like like our friend rob who's a couple years older than us i mean i you know he talks about you know going to see empire strikes back over and over again and all of his friends like talking about like what's gonna is are they gonna rescue han solo you know and mm-hmm. you know and we never had had that because you know you know I, I saw return of the jedi when i was like really young you know so mm-hmm. I mean, just basically as soon as I could think, you know, like, like right, you were saying, right. I knew the whole story. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I actually saw Return of the Jedi in the theater, but uh, that's the, that's the only one I actually remember seeing in the theater. Um, but uh, actually, you know, I don't yeah, actually remember uh, seeing it in the theater, but I remember <laughs> driving over to the toy store afterward <laughs> to buy a toy, you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, ah, the influence of George Lucas. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, but speaking of Empire Strikes Back, um, or, or seeing it in the theater, uh, my sister's ex-husband, uh, actually, uh, he, uh, he told me this story one time about how, you know, he and his friends, like, skipped school to go watch, you know, Empire Strikes Back, and, like, on, on the first day it started, you know, and so they went, so they got there a little early, and so they were at the mall, and so they, they went into the bookstore, and they were sort of t- t- to kill time, and, uh, so they saw the novelization of Empire Strikes Back oh, no. was there in the store, and so my, you know, my sister's ex-husband just like you know he picked it up and and he started flipping through the book and he just happened to land on the page where it says like you know like luke i'm your father and uh, and it's like oh my god what were you doing what were you doing picking up the book and looking through it why would you do that but you know like all the kids today you know they're like i like i like phantom menace you know and you're like you (laughs) stupid kids you know but uh you know I, i can remember like when i was a kid that i used to think like star wars was really cool and Empire Strikes Back was really boring, and Return of the Jedi mm. was really cool. Really? Oh. Yeah, like, I can remember thinking it was like, you know, there's, like, action, and I guess when mm-hmm. you're a kid, that's all you really care about. You're like, there's no that boring character development and stuff <laughs> like that. Yeah. But it's funny, because, I mean, so basically, I mean, all growing up, I just thought Star Wars was infallible, basically. And uh, I can remember, you know, I hadn't seen it in a couple of years, I think, and, I, you know, I went off to college, and I came back, and I was home for, you know, Christmas break or something. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll watch Star Wars. So I, so I pop it in. You know, I'm watching. I'm like, oh, it's Star Wars, you know. Mm-hmm. And then it gets to the part where, uh, you know, they're running around the Death Star. And uh, Leia and Luke run up and Han Solo and, and, and Chewie are there. And he says, you know, what kept you? And, and Princess Leia says, oh, we ran into some old friends. And I just thought, that's a bad line. <laughs> I'm like, there's a bad line in Star Wars. <laughs> and it was like the first time. It was like the first crack 
you know <laughs> and, and since then i've i've come to feel unfortunate that there are more more there's more than one bad line in star no. wars no no don't say that <laughs> how could you say that um wait wait i have a bad feeling about this <laughs> where are you going with this so yes but but so i still liked uh you know i i still pretty much adored i would say you know mm-hmm. star wars empire strikes back and return of the jedi until <laughs> um i was about a I was about a, I guess I was a junior in college. I, you know, I was in Ireland when um, Phantom Menace came out. Mm-hmm. And so I was just really crushed that I wasn't going to get to see it, you know, mm-hmm. when it came out. And But but that summer, I was going to be going to Clarion. It was, and it was just a, a couple weeks after I got back. The, uh, the Clarion, it's a, a science fiction writing workshop. And so I thought, well, that'll be, you know, that'll be, you know, it's, it's not as good as seeing it in the movie when it comes out. But it's, you know, it's, that's pretty good. You know, I'll go and there will be all these other science fiction fans. And we can all, I'm sure they'll, they, they, they all will have seen it already. But I'm sure, I'll, you know, they'll want to go again. And, you know, we can all go. And, and so I get to Clarion. And I'm like, hey, guys, let's go see Star Wars. And they're like, nah. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, but, but, but it's Star Wars. And they're like, nah, it's not, it's not any good. <laughs> and, and so I didn't, get to, I didn't get to see it. That, you know, I couldn't get anyone's, even at a science fiction writing <laughs> workshop, I couldn't get anyone to go with me. And so I finally saw it. You know, I don't know. A couple months later, with some some friends from high school, and and by that time, you know, like my my expectations when I saw it were like one percent of what my expectations had been, mm-hmm. just because everyone had said how bad it was. And then I saw it, and it was like one percent of my newly revised expectations. You know, so mm-hmm. I mean, if I had, I can't even imagine what it would have been like if I had had my original expectations going in to see it. <laughs> I think my heart, I seriously think my heart would have just stopped. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I you know, I think I must have been in denial after I saw it, you know, because I mean, obviously like all like all of us I was like super excited to go see it and uh uh you know, I made elaborate plans to to see it like on the first day and all that. You know, so I saw it and uh it didn't really sink in for quite a while that like, you know, god, it's not a good movie, you know. Uh but I mean, one of the reasons why, like when we were in when we were talking to Alexander in the interview, I, you know, I sort of said, well, there's no way that Attack of the Clones is not the worst movie because uh, yeah yeah like, about um, th- about that. Um, oh, <laughs> I, had a, I, had a que- I had a question actually on that subject. Uh, okay. What are you smoking? <laughs> well, you think uh, Phantom Menace is clearly worse, or yeah yeah? I mean they're both they're both pretty bad, but I mean I think Phantom Menace is way worse. Well, um, I, I just I think that Phantom Menace uh, has more redeeming qualities to it. I don't think either of them are good movies at all, but. Um, I, I think... mean, like like Attack of the Clones. I don't really remember. Yeah. It's it's sort of it was just kind of mediocre and it's sort of forgettable to me. No, but no. There's so many things about Phantom Menace. I'm still just apoplectic, <laughs> uh, apoplectic about. I mean, like Jar Jar Binks. Well, right. Yeah. Well, Mid- he's in Attack of the Clones too, isn't he? Yeah, but just barely. You know, because uh-huh. he was so unpopular. You know. Yeah, they, yeah. They trimmed him down to just barely there. Um, Midichlorians. Mm. Right. The the miraculous conception of Anakin Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anakin Scott, you know, Jake Lloyd, you know, <laughs> uh, I could go, I could probably go on, but I mean, to me, okay, there, there's making, nothing in Attack some... of the Clones that makes me that angry. You're making some good points, but there's, uh, uh, there, there was nothing that bothered me as much as that stupid scene in the robot factory where like C-3PO gets like dismembered or whatever. And they're on that stupid, and there's that stupid conveyor belt. It's like just such a stupid scene. I, I like, I couldn't believe what I was watching. Like. <laughs> Like what the hell is going on here? Why is this in the movie? It's like, ah, oh, it was just like, it was so frustrating. It's like, and and I think that to me more than anything is why I hate Attack of the Clones so much. I mean, obviously it's terrible. Um, I mean, like every time Hayden Christensen speaks, it's like, oh god, what is? Ah, oh, stop speaking. 
Um, well, the the part that sticks out for me in that movie is where like Obi Wan Kenobi rides around on this like giant cartoon lizard. <laughs> yeah, that was Attack of the Clones, right? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I think I must have blocked that out. But it's that's one of those things where you're just like, like didn't didn't like hundreds of people work on this movie? Like I can't believe <laughs> that like ninety eight percent of them weren't like, dude, they're gonna put a giant cartoon lizard in it and. Right. Obi-Wan Kenobi's going to ride around on it, and there's nothing we can do to stop them. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, what I was going to say about Phantom Menace, like, the, the 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 reason I felt like it was redeemed is because, uh, like, the like Dar- I just liked Darth Maul so much, and uh, and the fight scene at, with him at the end is so cool, even though, like, uh, the, the mechanism by which um, Obi-Wan is prevented from helping Qui-Gon is, like, just so stupid and ridiculous. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just that the fight scene is so cool with him. He's, like, he was such a cool villain um, that I really enjoyed him, and there was nobody like that in Attack of the Clones. So, like, uh, I don't know that did a lot to redeem the movie for me and uh although the the pod race thing was pretty stupid it was uh pretty to look at you know um and i don't know that there was anything sort of equivalent in uh attack of the clones yes yeah, Dar- darth maul is pretty cool i actually kind of like general grievous like not the way oh, not the way he that. not the way he talks uh-huh. right like his like but his his just like physical design i think is really cool and that he has four arms and they can you know that kind of stuff like they could have done so much cool stuff with him and worst name ever. No, no, no. Come on. Well, Count, Count Dooku Count is in Dooku, the same yeah. movie. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. Maybe maybe that's worse. Yeah, George uh, came up with a bunch of terrible names for the prequels, didn't he? I mean, Jar Jar Banks is pretty bad, too. Um, but yeah, uh, Grievous and Dooku, those are, those are both pretty terrible names. Yeah, I, I heard he, he said that he like lets his kids name the... Oh no! Name the villains or something. Uh, which, you know, can certainly you can certainly believe, but I don't. I don't want this to turn into a gigantic uh, <laughs> prequel hate fest. So why don't yeah, we yeah. move on to our next topic? Yeah, I was gonna say. I was gonna say at the top of the show that this is actually this will be the episode in which we alienate half our viewers. <laughs> but so uh, you know, uh, Alexander um, ranked. Okay, well, what, what do you think is the best uh, best of the Star Wars movies? Oh yeah, no, Empire Strikes Back. I think clearly. So I mean, I, I think I'd probably I'd probably rate them in this. Well, I, I'd rate them similar to him. I'd I'd go I'd go um, five, four, six, uh, three, one, two. So it's just because I, you know, like, as I said, I uh, Attack of the Clones is the worst for me. So mm-hmm. see, I actually prefer the original Star Wars. Um, oh, do you? Okay. So uh, I mean, I mean, Empire Strikes Back is really good too. I mean, they're very close to me, mm-hmm. but I have to confess, I've always found Empire Strikes Back a little slow, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I, I, I honestly, I always fall asleep at the uh, the Dago boss stuff. Mm-hmm. I guess I, I just kind of have a low tolerance for Muppets teaching Zen. <laughs> but, you know, like there's this part where it's raining and, uh, you know, like R2-D2 gets up on his tiptoes and looks in the window. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and Luke starts being kind of more whiny than usual. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm always at that part. I'm just like, must stay awake. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's 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 so much good stuff in Empire Strikes Back. I mean, there's the um, you know, the ice, the the battle on Hoth. I love, mm-hmm. and um, you know, the uh, the the the, stu- the the sort of climactic mm-hmm. finale. I really love, and uh, the fact that it ends on a really unresolved, unsettled kind of downer note. And I mean, that's one of my favorite endings where they're just standing on the on the ship, looking out into space, and everything's so unsettled, and you know, and that's the end. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I saw I watched Star Wars growing up so much, mm-hmm. but um, you know the 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 first movie. But um, I don't know. It just has. Uh, 
I think I always kind of like the beginnings of things more. Mm-hmm. I kind of noticed this with uh, even like like role playing games. You know, like you start out as a level one character and you get like lots of ability. You know, like when you go from like level one to level five, you get a lot of new abilities. Whereas mm-hmm. once you start going from like level fifteen to level twenty, it doesn't make that much difference anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I would always just like start a new character and get up to level twelve or something, and then be like, "Oh, my favorite part of the game is over." Let me start over and like start a new character and just do that over and over again because mm-hmm. I really like having a you know that just that idea of a character who's like new like everything's new to them and they just develop really quickly and and so like in in Star Wars all the characters you know they all don't know each other and they are all kind of suspicious of each other and they all hate each other basically mm-hmm. to start with and by mm-hmm. the end of the movie they're all friends you know and um, you know Luke had been just like this normal kid and now he's like the hero of the rebellion and stuff. And just that process, there, there's such a change uh, in all the characters. And in a sequel, you can never really, you know, you can never really replicate that mm-hmm. that first big jolt of uh, of everything's new and everything changes. And I always, I still really, you know, the the scene where they uh, they blow up the de- the Death Star mm-hmm. uh, is is probably probably my favorite sequence in movies. I just love that so much. But I was thinking actually that what the first what Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back? Oh, I should say actually that you know, I'm not such a fan of Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. I know I was going to call you on that because I know you've uh, you've trashed it before. <laughs> and I mean, like like Alexander was saying, there's some really good stuff in there, like the you know the um like he was saying the Jabba the Hutt mm-hmm. intro sequence and um the you know like the confrontation um, between Luke and, and Emperor Palpatine is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you like the like the Ewoks or are really irritating and uh um you know the the thing about luke and leia being siblings oh. i mm-hmm. i even when i was four years old i'm just like you know he's like leia you're my sister and i'm just like no she's not <laughs> I, I don't i don't believe this you know <laughs> this is not ha- you know i just don't I, i'm sorry yeah. I, don't, I don't believe this is happening and, and 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 it wasn't really until i had watched phantom menace that i started really disliking return of the jedi Mm-hmm. But, like, really what Phantom Menace was like for me was, like, an anti-Star Wars vaccine, you know? <laughs> and you know how a vaccine works, right? Is they introduce a dead form of the virus <laughs> yeah, yeah. into your body, and so your body can analyze it and develop antibodies, and then when the live virus comes in, you're you're <laughs> all, like, armed and ready and primed against it. Mm-hmm. And that's what Phantom Menace was like for me. Because all the Star Wars movies have some of the same things that are wrong with Phantom Menace, but they're not mm-hmm. so noticeable. But, yeah. like, Phantom Menace just, like, like shoves them in your face to, mm-hmm. to such a degree that you can't go back and watch the other Star Wars movies without noticing them, and and most most of all in, in Return of the Jedi. When you when you just were talking about the way uh, the things that are wrong with Star Wars are sort of shoved in your face in Phantom Menace, uh, I, I just I just had a flash of uh, of those uh, like super cool. Um, droid uh droid uh warrior things that they had in there but then like you know they say roger roger all the time it's like oh god that's so dumb why do they do that it's like they're so cool otherwise and you know i mean it's it's like it's like it's just like fun to watch them get like thrown around by force blasts and all that and you know you know they're just like a cool sort of robot warrior but then they make they they, he, he had to make them all cute you know and it was just dumb but um you know as far as um i like i know like you know, you're saying how you don't like Return of the Jedi that much. I mean, um, 
Although, although I would actually, although I, as I said, uh, Empire is my favorite of the Star Wars movies. I think my favorite moments in Star Wars is actually in Return of the Jedi, and it's that climactic battle between Vader and Luke. Um, like I, I don't know, I just I like love that so much that it totally. It, it's like again, it's like it sort of it redeems everything that it redeems uh, what's wrong with Jedi to me, so that I still find it watchable. You know, I mean, even though I, I, I I'm as much of a Ewok hater as anybody. Well, no, um, but I mean that's such a great moment when. Palpatine says, uh, you know, your friends on the moon are walking into a trap now to pull the power of this fully armed and operational battle station. And then he blows away, you know, one of the re- the, the rebels' biggest ships, you know, yeah. and you're like, oh, man. And so I was thinking about that. I was like, what makes that so good? And and what makes scenes like that in, in Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back so good? And And I was thinking, like, really what makes Star Wars work for me is good people dying mm. right and like every moment every scene where good people are dying is a powerful scene to me and to the extent that good people die makes the movies powerful to me and then to the extent that good people don't die makes them feel like a um kind of overbearing amusement park ride mm. right mm. and mm-hmm. so like in order for like in order for action to be interesting at some level you have to feel that the danger is real and in order for you to feel that the, that the danger is re- real, I think you have to see good people dying. So I'm thinking like all my favorite stuff from Star Wars is like, mm-hmm. the, you know, from the very beginning where, you know, um, Princess Leia is on the on the ship and the stormtroopers bust in and, you know, the, the hallway is just littered with the mm-hmm. security forces of the ship and they're just being gunned down as they flee. And it immediately establishes, you're like, oh man, this is scary, you mm-hmm. know. And then and, they blow up a planet. Yeah, and that's, I mean, and that's, you know, when, that's really dramatic when um, Tarkin is saying, you know, give me this information or I blow up this whole planet of innocent people. I mean, that's a really mm-hmm. compelling situation. And then he does it. And then it's even more, you know, then it's even more scary. <laughs> you know, and like one of my favorite moments, it's a small, small moment, but one of my favorite moments in uh, Empire Strikes Back is where, you know, Han Solo goes to try to the command center on, on Hoth. And, you know, it's all been kind of, it's been kind of blown up. And he says, you know, I heard the command center had been hit. I'm getting you to, to your ship. And as he's crossing the room, you hear an announcement come over the loudspeaker. And it says, you know, Imperial troops have entered the base. Imperial troops have entered the, mm-hmm. you know, and you and it cuts out. And you know, it's going, it's cutting out because that was an innocent person. Or that was a good person who just got killed, you know, mm-hmm. and that makes it scary. And, you know, in Return of the Jedi um, and in the prequels, there's just so many scenes where they're just they're, they're like afraid to kill 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 the good guys. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I think that's it's part of um, it's part of what uh, Alexander was talking about, like the sort of change that happened in George Lucas um, that you know alienated the the producer from uh, what he was doing. I think I, I mean you know because it became so much about merchandising. I mean that's clearly why the Ewoks are in the movies for merchandising reasons, but also that sort of influenced I think how he shaped that movie, you know, were Jedi and the other, the other three in the prequels, you know, that he tried to make it much more kid friendly. And so to do that, he, he sort of scaled back the violence, especially to the good guys. Uh, I actually heard, th- I heard that they had, you know, it was originally planned. I think that it was going to be Wookiees, you know, in Return yeah, of the right. Jedi, which would have been awesome, but I guess it was like, I, I don't know. I heard it was too expensive to make all those Wookiee costumes and the Ewok costumes were cheaper to make because they're half as big or something. I don't, I don't know if that's, if that's true, but but I, it seems like I read a quote one time where, where Lucas was saying that, you know, the Ewoks defeating the Empire, it's like a small, 
or like a like a less uh, well armed group beating a you know a, a better armed group like like Vietnam like the Vietnam War or something like that. And where that parallel breaks down to me is that in Vietnam, you know, apparently, um, you know, at the beginning beginning of the American involvement, Ho Chi Minh said to the Americans, you know, the best that your soldiers can hope to accomplish is to kill nine of us for every one of you that we kill. And even at that rate, you'll still lose and we'll still Mm -hmm. win because we're all willing to die for this and you're not all willing to die for this. And so, like... If something like, in order for something like Return of the Jedi to be, like the 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 Ewoks winning, to be credible to me it was like, if four if if they just have tons and tons of Ewoks, and you know four or five of them get blown away for each stormtrooper that they take down or something like mm-hmm. that, because there's like you know because it just makes the stormtroopers like this legion of my best troops, it just makes them seem like such a joke when. Mm-hmm. You know, they just get overrun by these teddy bears, and there's, like, one Ewok who dies. Yeah. And the camera, it's such a big deal. Like, oh, no, one Ewok died. Yeah, but speaking of the Ewoks, I think, uh, you know, in the much maligned special edition versions of Star Wars, uh, that's that's one one positive thing that Lucas did with those is that he eliminated eliminated that Jub-Jub song that they would sing at the end of Return of the Jedi. (laughs) Now it's something else. It's it's less stupid. I think I'm pretty sure it's still stupid, but... You know, when when I was talking about innocent, like good people dying, the parts mm-hmm. of the prequels that are most memorable to me, you know, follow that same pattern. Like when Anakin slaughters the mm-hmm. the, the Jedi kids, mm-hmm. you know, that's like a moment where I sort of, you know, I sort of woke up for a moment. You know, I was, I was kind of like, oh, <laughs> whoa, what's this is actually turning into a real story again here. Yeah, yeah. Um, or like when, um, or even when he goes to slaughter all the sand people too. I mean, that was. Uh... Yeah, that, was, good that was a nice. Yeah, except they cut away from it, and so I know. in a very <laughs> cheesy sort of way. But uh, I know I, I'll always hate them for that. Um, but also when um, you know the the um, order, whatever it is, Order sixty six or whatever, it gets uh, issued, mm-hmm. and all the clone troopers turn against the Jedi and, and kill them all. That was like the best part of that movie mm-hmm. uh, for me. But it's 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 sort of interesting to because I, I wonder, you know, since Star Wars is something that I grew up with. And and all the kids today, you know, I mean, who knows what they'll think in 10 or 15 years or whatever, but they seem to like the prequels just fine. And so, like, my my deepest fear kind of is that the original Star Wars movies actually are as bad as the prequels. <laughs> and I just, you know, I'm just blind to it because it because I because of the nostalgia and because of the mm-hmm. familiarity and stuff like that. You know, um, when, when I was at the Odyssey writing workshop, there was a student there who had never seen Star Wars. And we're all like, oh, my God, you know, we have, you have to watch Star Wars. And so we, you know, we got Star Wars and we, we put it in and we're just like, OK, just, you know, prepare yourself for the most powerfully transcendent experience probably <laughs> in your entire life, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was really just sort of disconcerting watching her her reactions to to seeing Star Wars, you know, as as a, you know, being 18 or whatever and seeing mm-hmm. watching it for the first time. You know, she's just like, wait, they have a werewolf, too. <laughs> you know? like, no dude it's Ch- it's chewbacca come on that's chewbacca there and uh you know and she's like what he just howls and like the guy can understand what he's saying you know and just she had like all these like problems like that with it so you know when i was at uh at usc i actually took a class with Irvin kirshner uh who actually directed empire strikes back and so he actually talked about that a little bit which was always really interesting and so he said you know because uh um uh, you know george lucas had been a student of his uh at, at usc 
And so, uh, like, a, a bunch of directors, you know, would all get together at uh, Francis Ford Coppola's house and watch movies, you know, and, and, and Lucas would come over and show them kind of uh, footage of Star Wars as he was filming it. And they would all be like, hey, that's that's great, George, really great, you know. And then he'd leave, and they'd all just look at each other and shake their heads and be like, what is he thinking? You know, this is going to be just the dumbest movie <laughs> ever. And so, like, you know, all the all the adults, you know, just didn't get it at all, you know, when, mm-hmm. when Lucas was making it and they didn't, you know, like the studio executives, they didn't even want to release it or just, you know, barely wanted to release it. And, and apparently he was just like begging them, just screen it before a young, a younger audience, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, so, so Kirshner described how, you know, they, you know, they, the studio arranged to screen it before a college audience. And so all the studio execs are stand, sort of standing in the back of the theater and the, the college students are sitting, all sitting there and uh, they start the movie and he's like, and the college students just like started screaming, <laughs> like almost as, like almost as soon as the you know the the first like star destroyer flies across the screen, you know, the mm-hmm. college students were just like screaming with enthusiasm and like didn't stop screaming and didn't stop screaming, and the movie went on and on, and they're all just like freaking out, mm-hmm. and the studio execs are kind of like standing at the back of the room, kind of glancing at each other and being like, you know, are you seeing what I'm seeing, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, that that's actually one of the things that uh, has always astounded me about Star Wars, and I think is probably a large reason why it has such a profound effect on so many people, is that the special effects were, like, so far ahead of its time. I mean, if you look at other movies from that period, even movies twenty years made 20 years after that, I mean, it's like the special effects are so good that it's like we're only now sort of catching up to them in with, like, digital effects and stuff. I mean, like, for instance, like, I mean, the... In the prequel movies, like, I think it, that that's actually a step backward from what Star Wars did, I mean, for the most part. I mean, like, a, a lot of the computer-generated effects that they use, like, I mean, they just look phony to me, whereas um, the, the effects in Star Wars all look like they were all part of the same universe, you know? Yeah, so, and, like, just the other day I was watching the scene, throw, you know, Jabba the Hutt is, is throwing people to the Sarlacc. Mm-hmm. And in the, you know, the, the the version they have out now, they added this, like, sort of CG beak kind of thing. Mm-hmm. to it and it just stands out i mean you know I, I had completely forgotten that that was there but you just see it and you're just like that looks like a computer generated thing just stuck in this otherwise consistent milieu you know but uh, another story of the i don't know if, uh, if i've told you the story but but he had this this funny story about when they were filming empire strikes back and you know in um in the prequels like the scenes between anakin and padme are just so 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 schmaltzy and cheesy they're just you know painful Mm-hmm. And so apparently, as written, you know, the the, the scene where um, Han Solo is frozen in carbonite, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Princess Leia says, I love you. And and, Han, and and in the script, Han Solo was supposed to say, I love you too. And it was supposed to be a real horrible <laughs> Anakin and Padme sort of moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, and I don't, I don't remember, you know, it was either Harrison Ford or, or Kirshner was just like, no, this is not going to work. <laughs> yeah, but they couldn't come up with... Uh, an alternative and they were just doing take after take you know and, and Kirshner was just sort of feeding him you know alternative lines and and they were just like nah this is, isn't working and uh so finally they're like well let's do one more take before we break for lunch and so princess and, he, and he's like just you know Harrison just improvise something and so princess Leia says I love you and Harrison Ford says I know and he's saying I know because they'd already done like 12 takes <laughs> of her saying I love you but uh and it was just kind of a joke you know and Kirshner's like, okay, you know, that's great. Let's go with that. And everyone was, <laughs> and, and was kind of like, you, you can't be serious. And he's like, no, no, that's perfect. That's exactly what that character would say. Mm-hmm. 
It's funny that it came off like that. That's or that's how that came about because that that was perfect. I mean, it's like I mean that's such a memorable scene the way it is, and it's like if they had done it as scripted, it would have been lame, as you said. So, um, so did you uh, did you ever read this book uh, that Alexander was talking about, the uh, Star Wars on Trial? No, no. Uh, it's it's pretty good. I, you know, it's kind of like they have all these charts. It's sort of it's you know David Brin edited it, and it's sort of um, uh, you know lays out all these charges, and then it alternates, you know sort of a, a scene critic or a, a chapter criticizing star wars and then a chapter defending it and mm-hmm. it was really good you know like in the best sorts of arguments like that where i would read the chapter of criticism and say like yeah yeah i, I agree with that and then read the rebuttal and say no actually i agree with that too you know and mm-hmm. sort of go back and forth like that but i have the i don't want to spend too much time since people can just check out the book if they're curious but i wanted to mention what some of these charges are and maybe get your response to some of these mm-hmm. so the charges are one the politics of Star Wars are anti-democratic and elitist. Two, while claiming mythic, mythic significance, Star Wars portrays no admirable religious or ethical beliefs. <laughs> Three, Star Wars novels are poor substitutes for real science fiction and are driving real SF off the shelves. Four, science fiction filmmaking has been reduced by Star Wars to poorly written special effects extravaganzas. Five, Star Wars has dumbed down the perception of science fiction and the popular imagination. Six, Star Wars pretends to be science fiction, but is really fantasy. Seven, women in Star Wars are portrayed as fundamentally weak. And eight, the plot holes and logical gaps in Star Wars make it ill-suited for an intelligent viewer. <laughs> Do you have any uh, reactions to any of those? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, you know, the first thing I, I thought of when you were reading off those charges is that uh, um, while I'm inclined to say that, you know, maybe filmmaking has been reduced uh to, to poorly written special effects extravaganzas, but, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not sure that science fiction films weren't like that already before Star Wars, you know? Um, well, there's this argument. I mean, I wasn't alive at the time, so I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't really have much of a perspective on this, but but people will it, people seem to think that science fiction was on the verge of becoming more respectable with uh, stuff uh, like 2001 and Blade mm-hmm. Runner, and then start the Star, Star Wars juggernaut came along. It just kind of made it all... Um, buck rogers kind of stuff again Mm -hmm. yeah i mean that's possible i mean yeah i guess we'd have to we have to talk to people who were you know adults at the time to to really analyze that but i I think star wars ultimately has probably done more good than harm just because it's uh, i mean like for people like us i mean you know like star wars and star trek like you could sort of criticize them both for similar reasons but I mean, I think there's just so largely responsible for drawing so many people to science fiction that from a science, like if you're going to criticize it for what it did to science fiction, I don't know that that's really fair. Uh, as to some of the other charges uh, about Star Wars pretending to be science fiction, but it's really fantasy. Well, that's definitely true. I mean, you know, that was one of the that was one of the things I was really disappointed to, to learn uh, as I, you know, sort of learn some science that okay yeah no star wars is just you know it's almost completely bs as far as any kind of scientific scientific plausibility goes i mean like uh gene cavellos actually wrote a book called the the science of star wars and and so like i i read that in college i actually wrote a paper on it um for a science fiction class and uh it, it was pretty disheartening to learn all the stuff that is just like oh it's just no way possible like i mean like from the from the blasters to the to the lightsabers of course the lightsaber is the big thing it's like oh man lightsabers aren't possible that sucks and and of course the force is the big thing it's like well that's obviously some sort of magic system and is completely fantasy so well it seems to me that star wars is is mostly to or largely to blame for what seems to be the average person's sense that light speed is really 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 fast mm-hmm. and you can just like hop from one side of the galaxy to the other if you're traveling at light speed mm-hmm. you know uh 
there was a thing in in Spaceballs where you know they're like we're going to light speed and Rick Moranis's character says no no light speed's too slow we're gonna have to go all the way to ludicrous speed <laughs> and that's actually that really is the case I mean light speed on a galactic scale you know like Han Solo says I've flown from one side of this galaxy to the other you know if if, mm-hmm. if ships travel at light speed you know it's gonna take like a hundred thousand years to cross <laughs> a galaxy the size of ours and I mean Right. I've, I've, I've heard people try to argue maybe the Star Wars galaxy, it's like really, really compressed or small or something. But I, I, I just don't buy that. I just think, you know. Well, I mean, they're not actually traveling at light speed. They're exceeding light speed. I mean, because the, um, they like they make the jump to hyperspace or whatever. They also use that term, right? So, Well, it seems, I mean, it seems like just if you listen to what they say, they say we're going to make the jump to light speed. And I think yeah. a lot of people sensibly assume that they're traveling <laughs> at light speed and, you know. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, speaking of Jean Cavellis, because she actually wrote the charge, women mm-hmm. in Star Wars are portrayed as fundamentally weak. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, you know, this is actually something that I, I do find really irritating in in movies where, you know, she talks about how in Star Wars, in the original Star Wars, Princess Leia is this really dynamic, fiery character. Mm-hmm. And as the, as uh, starting in Empire Strikes Back, or even I guess starting... Uh, toward the end of star wars you know she doesn't get her own ship or anything to attack the death star but you know it's sort of like you know they, they start out with female characters who are really sort of strong and dynamic and it's like they just can't help making them like the love interest and or the mom nurturer whatever it seems like you know all those lines you know when they're sort of divvying up lines they, they can't help giving all those kinds of lines to the the female characters right it was kind of the same thing in, in the Matrix. I guess you never watched uh, the sequels, but it was you know, in, you know, when you first see Trinity, you know, in, in the the first scene of the Matrix, she's this total like badass character, mm-hmm. and you know, as this as the movies go on, she just becomes kind of you know, the girlfriend slash mom kind of character. Right, right, yeah. Um, you know, as for one of the other charges that uh, you know that Star Wars portrays no admirable religious or ethical beliefs. Like, I mean, and I don't care if it portrays any admirable religious beliefs, but I mean, as far as ethical beliefs, like, I don't know. I think it like it probably does, right? I mean, you know, it's got this clear, you know, uh, light and dark side of the Force thing, and obviously, uh, you know, going to the dark side is bad. And uh, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, I I think that that kind of feels like that influenced me, you know, like growing up, you know. So I mean, I don't know that it uh, like I say that it doesn't it doesn't portray any admirable ethical beliefs. It seems like it does. Well, I think uh, um, if you read the book, sort of the the gist of that argument is that the there's no the, that it's that the the ethics are so muddled that it's it's mm-hmm. hard to uh, how do, you know could could you form could you form an opinion about how you should deal with any challenging ethical issue based on you know oh I see referring mm-hmm. to Star Wars I mean uh, I, I'm pretty sure David Brin wrote this this charge but that. Um, it just seems like you're not allowed to be angry in the Star Wars universe. And if you ever become mm-hmm. angry for one second, you're irredeemably bad. You've turned <laughs> to the dark side and you're irredeemably lost. And uh, and I think he sort of says, well, wait, shouldn't, aren't there a lot of things in the world that you should get angry about? And doesn't mm-hmm. being angry about injustice motivate us to action? And doesn't just being peaceful or just the sort of being placid all the time, not a responsible reaction to a lot of the, the state of the world? Well, I mean, I think I think the thing with anger and with the force is that, you know, you're just supposed to be able to control it, not let it control you. And it's not that you don't get angry. It's just that you don't you don't let it be outwardly visible that you're angry because, you know, you're controlling it. I think that's the thing that that, that is with that. I mean, and, and I mean, certainly it's not true that, you know, you can't get angry at all because uh, in 
it, it, it doesn't make you irredeemable. I mean, like Luke obviously gets angry at the end of Return of the Jedi, and that's one of the th- things that that makes that scene so cool is that you know he sort of gets toward the verge of you know sort of moving towards the dark side there when he gets angry and and starts uh, you know he feels the power that he sort of derives from that you know but then he he sort of realizes what's going on and, and backs away from it. Much as I love that scene, it's always struck me as a little strange that the emp- the emperor is saying go on, strike me down, you know, mm-hmm. and, and Luke's like, no, I can't do that because that would be wrong. And I'm like, well, is it wrong? I mean, don't we mm-hmm. want him to Don't we want him to strike down the Emperor? I mean, wouldn't that be better for everybody? Well, I mean, I think, uh, I think Luke is saying that it would be wrong if he just struck him down when they weren't, like, you know, because, like, the Emperor is basically like, Mur- like murder me, you know. <laughs> um, you know, strike me down where I stand without me defending myself is, is basically what the Emperor was taunting them to do. And, and I mean, I think that's what Luke is saying is wrong. Not that he shouldn't. But would uh, that would that be wrong? And the Emperor is a really bad guy. I mean, he's yeah a genocidal maniac, right? Well, yeah, no. I mean, that's that's obviously a, a real ethical issue in in the real world. I mean, like you know, for instance, like uh, any any sort of dictator, is it uh, you know, is it ethical to you know just put them down, even if like you know uh, to assassinate them, etc. You know, when when they're you know sort of not engaged in a uh combat with you or whatever you know is that ethical i mean you know it's uh certainly the there's been plenty of debates about that kind of thing well like on on charge eight um about plot holes and and logical logical gaps um Mm -hmm. it certainly seems like there are plenty of those but i mean one thing that you know never really bothered me until i watched the prequels is how can people like um han solo and the uh the sort of um sneering imperial officer not believe in the force Mm-hmm. when just 20 years before Jedi were all over the place and jumping 100 feet in the air and lifting up spaceships with their minds and right. and stuff like that. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's clearly a uh, there's a timing issue uh, involved here and that, that's sort of a, uh, a plot a plot problem is that, like, you know, these movies should have clearly been, you know, the prequel movies should have clearly taken place much longer ago <laughs> if, if Lucas wanted the, the Force to be this sort of quaint, mythical thing that, you know, people don't believe in anymore or whatever. You know, I mean, it's like there's no way in that time period. I mean, you know, Han Solo would have still been alive or probably would have been alive, right? I mean, uh, I, I don't know. Was it actually 20 years or was it like 40 years or something? I mean, I, I, well, no, because Luke is born at the end of, Oh, that's right. you know, episode three. Yeah, so right. However, yeah, so... however old Luke is at the beginning of... Yeah, geez, so it's only it's only like, you know, 17 years or 18 years or something, you know, because I mean, he's like 18 years old, right? I mean, yeah. that's what it seems like. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, that, that, that's certainly a time issue. It's like, you know, it's like it should have it should have had to been a much longer ago than that, um, which, of course, you know, how much longer ago could it have been, though? Because like Obi-Wan Kenobi was obviously, what, like 20 or something, <laughs> But yeah, like I mean, how, how badly did he age though? You know, because I mean, it's like uh, he looks like he's about uh, like seventy or eighty uh, in Star Wars. Yeah, and like another, I'd actually never noticed this be- this before, but someone pointed this out to me recently. Speaking of weird time things, right? How long does Luke train with Yoda on Dagobah mm. in yeah, Empire no, Strikes I, Back? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's only like a couple days, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's not well because it's. You know, because he splits up with uh, Han Solo and, and Leia at the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. and they get back yeah. together again at the end. And so it's whatever amount of time that Han Solo and Leia were fleeing through the asteroid field and stuff is the same amount of time that <laughs> Luke was training on Dagobah. Uh-huh. And it certainly doesn't seem like they're fleeing through that asteroid field for more than 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours, right. something like that. Right, right. So, I mean, did he, you know, can you really, 
is that all it takes it's like a weekend course to, <laughs> to become a jedi right no i think so yeah that's that's all that's all it takes because all you all you have to do is trust your feelings <laughs> so once you learn that it's all cake <laughs> you know we asked alexander if he uh you know was ever into any of the expanded universe stuff <laughs> or the video games or, or anything were you ever into any of the uh like video games or toys or Oh yeah, big time. Yeah, I mean, before I before I started reading, you know, regular science fiction, you know, um, I, I I read I read like a, all the Star Wars novels that were out at the time, um, you know, the Timothy Zahn novels, which were like uh, I, I believe they were the, the sort of uh, the first books in this uh, revived uh, idea of, of doing tie-in novels. I mean, you know, Alan Dean Foster wrote one called uh, Splinter in the Mind's Eye, uh, you know, years ago. I think maybe maybe before even the original trilogy was all out, you know, in the theaters and stuff, but um, you know, aside from that, like, you know, there was a big gap in time where there were no Star Wars novels written. And then when the Timothy Zahn trilogy came out, uh, sort of started this whole thing where, you know, now it's an ongoing thing where we'll get other writers to, to write, you know, new adventures and so forth. And uh, so, yeah, no, I mean, I read all those and uh, and I've played some of the games. I mean, I've played the Star Wars role playing game. Uh, you know, that was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, and you know, I, I don't know what I would think of them now if I read them. You know, now that I've read like a lot of science fiction and, uh, you know, um, and, and I'm older and, you know, and I've seen the prequels. But, um, you know, I mean, a lot of that stuff I really enjoyed. I mean, some of the stuff I really liked was um, uh, th- there was a comic series as well. Uh, oh, um, the dark. It was the Dark Horse. One, yeah, the right? dark, the dark Empire yeah, the Dark Lords of the Sith. Yeah. You know, it took place like 4,000 years ago or whatever. So like when like the when the Sith and the Jedi were really uh, all over the place, you know. You know, um, it sort of deals with this guy, Exar Kun, you know, who uh, is mentioned in one of the uh, um, Kevin J. Anderson novels. Or the Kevin J. Anderson has a trilogy of Star Wars novels. Um, and there's this sort of old Sith Lord who's uh, who, who they sort of encounter somehow. I don't know. He's like he's he's, uh, uh, you know, he, he's like from four four thousand years ago. But, you know, he's somehow still alive or whatever. I don't, I don't remember what the what the reason was. But so he, he's he's in this trilogy of novels. But then. Uh, Anderson ended up writing some this comic series um, that takes place during the time where Exar Kun comes from, four thousand years before the events of Star Wars, um, and so like the Sith are sort of all over the place. And uh, and I thought I thought that was really cool. Although it's it's interesting because it sort of shows how like technology in the Star Wars universe like just you know advances at an infant infinitesimal uh, rate. You know because I mean they had spaceships even four thousand years before, um, even with the Force. I mean that's actually kind of kind of ties into one of our conversations we were talking about in uh, Blake Charlton's episode, episode eight, um, you know, like would technology evolve the same way if you had magic? And so like with the force, would, would technology really evolve at that same sort of similar rate as, as we've seen in, in the real world? Like if you have something like the force, you know, I'm not sure that it really even makes sense, but you know, the idea that they could have had spaceships like you know that are seem pretty indistinguishable from the ones that we see in Star Wars that they had that same sort of level of technology 4000 years before seems kind of weird so you know i i read the tim zahn you know heir to the empire and its sequels mm-hmm. and i i you know i was you know just a, a teenager i remember them being quite good i i really enjoyed them but um i mean out of all the i didn't read very many of the other ones i mean out of mm-hmm. all those that you read do you remember like any, what which ones were your favorites yeah well i mean i think the timothy zahn books were always my favorite um I didn't like Kevin J. Anderson's trilogy as much, but he had a he had a standalone one after his trilogy called Dark Saber that I really quite liked. Um, the Dark Saber is actually like it's like a, it's like the Death Star except that it's uh you know they didn't bother to build a whole 
moon shaped thing. They just they just sort of built the big super laser that it uh, you know that that destroyed the planets. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's like it's like Death Star version three except <laughs> that you know just pared down. But I mean, I really like that one. Um, uh, none of the other ones really spring to mind like uh, as being like you know worthy of singling out, but. You know, I must have read about uh, 12 or 15 of them. I mean, you know, whatever was available at the time. Um, I, I mean, I know I didn't like all of them. And uh, but yeah, I mean the uh, the Zon books, and then and then a lot of the comics I really liked, like specifically the uh, the Sith stuff. So, but um, as far as other expanded universe stuff, like the, um, like some of the video games, uh, one of the things I thought was interesting. Um, so in the the recent video game, The Force Unleashed, they kind of do something in the plot that seems really kind of strange. I I was really kind of surprised that they would allow something so monumental to happen in a video game that sort of, you know, because usually what happens uh, with sort of media tie-in stuff is that there's only so much you can do um, that changes the status quo, you know, Mm -hmm. because like, you know, the, the creator has this, this sort of idea in mind and the, the, the tie-ins are supposed to work within this certain framework and not change too much. But so in the, uh, in the force unleashed, this is kind of a spoiler in the game, but I mean, it's like, it it happens pretty early. So I don't know that it really matters, but you know, if you care, you know, don't listen, but um, in the force unleashed, it basically, they, it suggests that, or it, it not, not suggests, but it, it says that Darth Vader actually was, working against the empire all along and he like helped start the rebellion so i'm like hmm yeah i don't know about that i mean that's like that's that's a pretty big step to to make here you know it's like uh i mean we've already especially after the prequels where we see you know where vader came from you know what led him to you know how how he fell and fell from grace and all that and became vader you know it's like it, it seems kind of hard to believe that even after you know 20 years or whatever and uh you know the you know, the emperor is done stuff maybe he doesn't agree with or whatever it just seems it seems hard to believe that you know he would have actually been working behind the scenes to uh undermine the empire like that so um it's kind of a major thing to happen but um it it was interesting anyway i mean i think it kind of it's kind of um necessary to the game because in the game you play like sort of dark vader's apprentice and the idea of the game is that you know you can sort of play it good or bad and um you know so go with the dark side or the light side and uh uh, I mean, I guess they kind of had to, in order to have Darth Vader in the game as much as possible, they had to have him. So, they had to have some reason for him to be sending you on all these missions and stuff. So, but there, I'm not really sure it makes sense. There was this uh, Star Wars computer game I used to really like called Tie Fighter. That was mm-hmm. a uh, you know a space combat simulation. It was really cool. You know, you would get your mission. You know, so you're you're a Tie Fighter pilot, and and your Imperial officer would give you your your mission, and then there would be kind of this suspicious sort of cloaked figure in the corner and you could go and talk to him and he would give you kind of secret missions you know so you would get kind of secondary objectives if if you wanted to and depending on whether you how many of the secondary objectives you did uh, it would cause the plot to to branch um and so i i was never good enough at the game to find out what happened at the end but i, I gathered that there was sort of a um kind of mutinous imperial commander you know who was who was plotting against the emperor and you could either choose to take his side or not in the game. But one thing that they did, I mean, one of the problems they had, it was really it was really kind of fun being a, a member of the Empire. Uh, so, like, at the be- beginning of the game, you know how at, at the beginning of each Star Wars movie is there's the scroll that um, explains the plot. And so they had had one of those for TIE Fighter. But it, it was all just sort of, like, Imperial propaganda. Uh, <laughs> and it was, it, was really, it was really kind of fun. But... Um, sort of a problem they had is that the the tie fighters as they're depicted in the movies there's always tons of tie fighters which are 
fast and and small um, and easily destroyed versus, you know, a smaller number of rebel ships, which are kind of sturdier. And so they kind of tried to keep that dynamic a little bit in the game, but you still, you're flying around in this little TIE fighter, just blowing up X-wings and A-wings and X-wings and, you know, Y-wings all over the place. And, uh, and it's always just you and you and your, your wingmen, uh, against just tons and tons of rebel fighters, just constantly coming out of hyperspace all over the place. And, uh, it just never really felt consistent with the, uh, with the milieu. Yeah. You know, I mean, the force unleashed seems to fit pretty well. I mean, except for like, you know, like I said, the, that's kind of a, a major plot development that happened in a video game, but, um, and sort of goes against a lot of what we already know. But, um, you know, I have to say it is just, it's just so awesome to run around in a video game, swinging your lightsaber and, and like, like hacking down stormtroopers and stuff. I mean, it's like to people like us who grew up with star Wars and like, love it. Like we do just at this sort of core level. Um, you know, even though we know maybe like we shouldn't love it as much as we do. <laughs> um, it's just, there, there's like, there, I don't know if there's, there's much cool, there's much cooler than that. I mean, like, you know, like our, our friend Carol Pinchevsky has, um, you know, like one of those like full size lightsaber things that like lights up and stuff when you swing it around and it makes the noise. And it's like, oh, my God, that's it's like such a dorky thing. But it's like, that's so cool. I want that. You know, what I mean, <laughs> actually, when you when you were saying before about lightsabers being impossible, I've actually mm-hmm. seen some kind of speculation about how you might construct something along those lines involving, you know, plasma um, contained in a magnetic field, which obviously, you know, is way, way off in the future if it's possible at all. Hmm. But I mean, I think there's. At least I gather there's there's some uh, some hope for that. But one thing, you know. One... All right. Well, I I mean I was just I was just going with with uh, with your mentor. Uh, <laughs> so I mean. Um, but one thing is that you know that I if you were to do something like that, what wouldn't happen is that when two lightsabers hit each other. Oh, I don't know. Uh-huh. Maybe if there were, I don't know. It's very speculative. But uh, <laughs> I mean, one thing I think would be cool if you had a lightsaber type plasma sword, but they didn't. You couldn't parry with them, right? They just passed through each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like like we were talking about a little bit how, like, if they used real science in space battles, there would be, like, new interesting things they could do. Mm-hmm. I think that that would be cool, something cool to see on screen is, like, laser swords that you can't parry with. And how does that affect your combat style? And it would just be something new, you know, to to see. You know, and it's funny, like, you know, just speaking of, like, what, you know, what the lightsabers will pass through and what they won't, you know, um, the idea that that the movies that the Star Wars movies at all are are, are um, okay for kids to watch is just is, is 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 another one of the kind of ridiculous things about um, the science in Star Wars. It's like if okay, if you think about like what a lightsaber is supposed to be, and you think about how they're fighting with them, it's like wouldn't a lightsaber battle like be the most gruesome thing ever to like look at the the like the aftermath of it? I mean, there'd be dismembered limbs everywhere. I mean, you know, it's like it's like everybody's like uh, taking a big huge swipe at a stormtrooper or whatever, looking like it would cut him in half, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's what it must do. Assuming a lightsaber, a li- uh, uh, some sort of laser sword or plasma sword, assuming that's possible, um, you know, wouldn't it just be slicing through things, like leaving freshly cauterized wounds in its wake? And wouldn't it really smell awful after one of these battles? I mean, you know. Well, like the scene where... No one, you... ever, no one ever comments about that. It's like, oh my God, it smells like cooking bacon in here or something. Well, those those scenes like in um, in the prequels where you see all these little kids with their lightsabers and, and their little, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm always like, man, how, how do kids that age, like train with those lightsabers and not just kill each other or like chop their own arms off and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, you know, would way. you give a, would you give like a nine year old kid a, a lightsaber? No, never. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I, I'm just picturing like my nephew with a lightsaber. Like, okay. There's no way I would ever let him get near a lightsaber. I mean, it's like you hand it to him and you're going to pull back a stump. I mean, it's, like, <laughs> it's going to be that fast. It's like, you know, he might kill himself later, but he's going to take parts of you with him. 
Well, I actually think, you know, like a really like adult, I mean, like a really adult, just violent Star Wars movie would be really cool. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, actually one of the, you know, because we were talking with Alexander a little bit about rebooting the, you know, the possibility of rebooting Star Wars and, you know, have somebody like J.J. Abrams or, or Zack Snyder, you know, do a, you know, do a Star Wars movie. Um, I mean, one of the best Star Wars things I've seen, you know, in recent years was this Clone Wars cartoon shorts thing. Did you ever see that? Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't seen all of them, but I've seen it. Yeah. I, th- I I really like those. And, you know, just it's just an idea of what a different, you know, different director and different kind of sensibility can can bring to it. Just like so like my, you know, like we both said, we kind of liked the Tim's on books i think it would be really cool if they got some you know some new young director and they would because because you know like when they rebooted star trek you know i think jj abrams was saying that for him star trek was always kirk and spock you know and so if you're gonna Mm -hmm. do star trek it should be kirk and spock and that's kind of how i feel like star wars it's kind of it's always going to be luke skywalker han solo Mm -hmm. etc and so i'm not thrilled about the idea of refilming you know episodes four through six Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it would be really cool if they, you know, cast some new young actors to play Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and had a new young director and picked mm-hmm. up after Return of the Jedi and just drew on all the the books and, you know, just maybe took bits and pieces of them and constructed, you know, three more movies. No, I mean, I, I'd love to see something like that happen. I mean, I, I, I even would be completely fine just seeing, you know, episodes four through six, like being reshot. You know, I mean, uh, I have no issues with that at all. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I think that would be cool. Um, I mean, you know, I. If they did do it, though, I, I honestly think, I mean, they would they would just hire somebody to write new ones, like, even though they have all this other material that, that that's good, that's already, you know, fairly worked out, and, and most of it's pretty good. And, like, for instance, the, the, the Zahn books are quite good, and they take place, like, very closely after um, Return of the Jedi, so it's not like, you know, you would have to, uh, you know, you wouldn't have to worry about, you know, the actors being, oh, well, like, you know, they're so much older now, or whatever, you know. Um, but, uh, I mean, I, I'd love to see that, yeah. And that was our show. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. If you'd like to share your thoughts about any of the topics we discussed today, we'd love to hear from you. Just go to Tor.com and click on Podcasts, and then Geek's Guide to the Galaxy, Episode 11, and post a comment there. And be sure to join us next week when we'll talk Hobbits, Elves, and Balrogs with Corey Olson, host of the popular podcast The Tolkien Professor. See you then. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Tor.com. For this episode's show notes, or to subscribe to this podcast, visit Tor.com and click on Podcasts. For more information about your hosts, visit JohnJosephAdams.com or DavidBarrCurtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by Deadsville 9 Entertainment. If you've enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.